RadioInfluence.com. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at CrushPerformance.com. Now, here he is, the Crusher. This week marks the 10th episode of Crush Performance since our return from a broken heart. And for all of you new to the show, every few months I always like to dedicate a show to our inbox, answering some of the questions that come in and there have been some great questions. We always say that we're here to get you thinking about things you might not have thought of before or maybe you haven't thought of in a while. And that street works both ways. You get us thinking about things as much as we want to get you thinking about things. And at its root, this is a very important concept in the world of human performance. The sharing of information and sharing of opinions on that information that's being shared. We all get caught up in our own world and it can skew how we view things and how we approach things. It's actually a very smart move to step back and take a look around once in a while. You know that old saying, it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame? That's exactly what we're talking about here. Sometimes you need to get out of the picture to recalibrate your view, your approach, and even your plan. Now, what you hear or learn may just confirm that you're right on the mark, right on track and on target, but it may also get you thinking about something you might not have thought about before. And here's a great example of this. While we were focusing on our theme of creating coachable players here early in our return, and we're dedicating episodes to this theme every month, but it got me wanting to dive deeper into the concept of perception. And you guys are the reason I'm thinking about this right now, which brings us to our inbox. If you do have ideas, questions, or if you need some help, write to us, info at jeffcrushell.com. But from the crush inbox, ever since I told my story about the chronic back pain, the surgery, and the ensuing heart attack, I've received emails and messages from all over the world. Very, very appreciated, by the way. But one of the things that's come up several times is the conversation surrounding chronic pain and how it can swallow you up if you let it. And it was swallowing me up. It's a monster. I guess there are different degrees of pain. And this is where our Crush Inbox conversation begins. From Karen, Jeff, I listened to your Back From A Broken Heart series. I bought aspirin. It's in my vehicle, on my keychain. I have it with me everywhere I go. But you mentioned chronic pain and that you had Achilles pain that you said now seems like tinker toys compared to the back pain that you went through. Do you think the extreme pain you felt changed how you feel pain? Great show, by the way. Karen, thanks for the email. Great thought-provoking question. And one of the reasons I'm thinking about perception, because you are right. And I do recall mentioning that in the show, chronic pain and my perception of pain has changed. There's no question about it. I still feel pain. Don't get me wrong, but it has a totally different meaning. Pain that used to seem pretty painful just isn't that painful anymore. 
And it got me thinking about one of the shows I like to watch with my girls when they're at home. It's called The Kings of Pain. Have you guys seen this? It's where the guys go around the world getting bit by the most painful insects and animals to establish a meaningful pain index. It's crazy. It's nuts. But I can't stop watching. The whole concept was inspired by the Schmidt Pain Index, which is a pain scale established in the early 1980s by entomologist Justin Schmidt. He was looking for a way to compare and score the effects of various insect bites and stings. Smith's original scale went from zero to four. Zero was, you know, you get bitter stung, but there's really no effects, not a lot of pain and nothing really happens. Two might be something like a bee sting, he mentioned. And then four on the Schmidt scale, the original one anyway, was the most painful. On that original scale, only the bullet ant scored a four. Nature's crazy how something so tiny can cause so much pain and agony. His scale was later revised to include many more biting and stinging creatures. And I think it's continuing to be developed even to this day. But the whole concept was to give us an idea of this pain scale. And Karen, it got me thinking about your question. On that show, The Kings of Pain, they now use a 30-point index based on the intensity of the bite or the sting, the duration of the serious effects, and then the damage. Was there permanent scarring or permanent neurological? And it is unbelievable what nature has prepared for us out there. It's crazy. The way they set it up is they give a nice review of the creature or insect that they'll be scoring. Then with doctors ready, one of the guys goes in and gets bitten intentionally. And then the other one gets bitten as well. And they did two guys, they explained. So they had a comparable. Once the pain and agony is over, they sit down and they compare notes. It's terrible. It makes you cringe. Sometimes I cover my eyes, but listen, I can't stop watching. The point here is I wonder if the pain perception of these guys has changed. Don't you think it has to have changed? I can tell you without a question, it has for me. Absolutely no question about it. The pain that was pretty bad before really doesn't even bother me now. I can bet this summer I'm going to get stung by a wasp or a bee or something. And I grew up around bees. We actually had a honey farm, so I'm not I'm not scared of getting stung by a bee, but I do appreciate the pain they can cause. But I'm going to tell you, if I do get stung this year, I'll talk about it on the show. It's just not going to hurt the same way that it did before. That kind of pain or the pain that was bad before just doesn't seem the same. And we talk about perception. So Karen, it's a great question that has sparked a lot of thought here. And I'm looking at it like I'm kind of getting stronger. <laughs> I mean, after the two years of nuts, you guys can go back. If you haven't heard the first two shows, you can hear my whole story. But I'm looking at this kind of along the lines of getting stronger. You know, before you really start weight training or before you grow and mature, you know, on the farm as a young kid, carrying a couple five-gallon pails of chop seemed heavy as a kid. But as I got stronger and I grew, two pails seemed light. So I started carrying two pails in each hand and that got lighter and that got lighter. So that growing development changed my perception of what was heavy because what I could handle. I'm telling you, that chronic pain absolutely changed how I perceive pain. Great 
question, Karen. I got to thank you for that one. You have us thinking about some very, very cool stuff that I think is going to turn into an incredible theme going into the fall. So thanks for that. And it also flows right into our next question about how we learn. This from James. Crush, I've listened to the show for years. Very sorry to hear about TSN shutting down. Now, for those of you who don't hear us on terrestrial radio, we've been on the TSN 1260 sports radio station out of our hometown in Edmonton for boy, oh boy, must be 16, 17 years. Last month, they pulled the plug on the station. It's owned by a major corporation that was losing some money on the radio side, so they shut down a bunch of radio stations and our station here in Edmonton got caught up in the cuts. Welcome to corporate America. There is a massive, massive hole in the radio landscape here. And isn't it interesting, now that we've been down for a couple of weeks, just going around town, talking to people who listen to the station, and, and you kind of get surprised at how many people actually listen now that it's gone, everybody's talking about it. But boy, oh boy, how much radio can become part of our lives. I just, I can't believe they shut down these stations. Uh, again, it was probably a major corporate business decision, I'm sure. A lot of great people were impacted here, including our audience. But James writes, I attended one of your webinars over COVID and you talked about how people learn. As a coach, I thought it was fascinating. I've been more aware of how I talk to my athletes and how I present information. There is no question I was overloading my players. I've slowed it down and it has been amazing to see what a difference it's made. Is there a teaching slash coaching system or approach that you recommend over others? Oh, James, Pandora's box has officially been <laughs> opened here. It is a big, important topic, and a great question, by the way, that I can answer quite clearly. No, there is no one single approach that beats out all the others. As a coach, you need to choose your weapons well. The approach you take, I think, has to depend on what you're looking to accomplish. And there are a number of different options here. If you look at the teaching and learning environment, you have something like maybe deliberate practice where you're working on expertise or mastery of a movement or skill set and you focus on that one thing and then you move on. Or you have another sort of a system called the dynamic system theory. It's about organizing the body and how the body organizes itself in an environment. And you create an environment to make that happen. Coordinating the degrees of freedom within the system that's the human body to create an outcome. And then you have like differential learning. Differential learning is a very interesting one. It's kind of like creating noise or chaos. Um... To aid motor learning, you change the space, like uh, small area games would be a great example. Or you change the equipment, you use larger balls, smaller balls, uh, heavier bats, lighter bats, longer clubs, shorter clubs. You can change the rules of play as well. But in a differential learning environment, you alter the environment, whether it's the space, whether it's the equipment, or even the rules of play to help create an outcome, all right? And that, you know, a great example would be um, 
um, half field soccer or three on three hockey or three on three basketball uh, in a small on a smaller court. And then you have things like implicit and explicit learning. In implicit learning, there's little or no instruction. You might just, as a coach, set up the rules and let your athletes and players go out and figure it out. Just let them explore and play and get things done under the context of what you're trying to accomplish. Then you have explicit learning, which is the traditional coach-focused learning, where you're really guiding them along and giving them feedback as they go. And here's a little hint for coaches out there. We tend to over-coach all the time with the greatest of intentions, of course. I, I'm guilty all the time. I get fired up when an athlete's making progress or really executing well, and I start just giving it to them, just verbal diarrhea of information, and they get overwhelmed. So one of the rules that I try to adhere to when we're when we're getting to the point where they've learned a skill or a technique and they're trying to master it, I might give them a little more information or have a lot more interaction early on just to correct and work through and problem solve with them. I let them direct it. But as they get better and they're starting to put the pieces together, I try to go one to 10 repetitions, tries, or a good period of time before I say anything. I see if they can figure it out. And that's something that's really, really worked well for me. So keep that in mind. And that's explicit learning where the athlete or players are getting external information rather than creating it from within, which is implicit. And then you have like direct and indirect. Uh, direct would be reacting to the environment. Very little thought here, just getting out there and reacting to what's going on. And there's no thinking or planning where indirect learning or development requires planning and cognition. You're really thinking things through as you work through it. Uh, you use memories and you rely on past experiences to make it all happen. So in direct, it's very reactive. You get out there, don't think. You might have that in a game situation type training uh, in practice. And when you're indirect, you set up scenarios, let's say, or you reflect on past experiences and you make sure you're thinking things through as they transpire and unravel. Very, very cool. And then you have this thing called variability, which is just a simple play on movements. Variability training is actually quite helpful. We do it all the time. We might change uh, the surface that an athlete learns a skill on. We might have pre-fatigue strategies where if you take a golfer, for example, maybe we'll have them do 10 single leg squats on their right leg and then go swing. That's a, a, a strategy you can use. And that takes us to the constraints-led perspective, which is perhaps the most complete theory used to explain how the different aspects influence movement interact to guide movement outcomes. And variability is a big part of this. But the system is built around three different constraints that they represent in kind of a triangle, a triad of constraints that are really, really impactful or a big part of movement outcomes. And the first is the task itself, whether you're hitting a golf ball or trying to hit a baseball, whether you're trying to throw a strike or kick a soccer ball to a teammate, or whether you're playing rugby or football or hockey and you need to not only control your movement in space, but you also have to avoid the other team and move the ball or puck so the other team doesn't intercept it. And then you have the environment itself. 
Are you playing on a grass field or like in tennis? Do you go from grass to court to clay? Are you playing on a basketball court? So environment would be the second constraint. The third constraint is the performer themselves, the strengths, the weaknesses, the potential of the performer and what their skill set is. And those three constraints interact to actually influence the outcomes. As a coach, we can manipulate this stuff to aid development. We can manipulate one, two, or all three of these or different parts of each one of those. The task, the environment, or the performer. And this is where coaching and athlete development gets to be a lot of fun. All of these approaches help to aid learning in different situations. A lot would depend on the athlete, right? The age of the athlete, the skill level, the way they learn and the way they assimilate new information. And finally, the content of the instruction, what you're trying to teach them. You may choose one of these to best suit the situation that athlete is in and how you're trying to help them. James, it's a big topic, but it's an important topic. But what we're talking about here is simply and truly the art of coaching. Great, great question. Thanks for that, James. And finally, one last question from the Crush Inbox. This from Zach. Crusher, you're a strength coach, but you never really talk about strength training. Wondering why? And what is your approach to strength training? Well, busted. Zach, my friend, you finally caught me. It has taken 18 years of the radio show and the podcast to get this question. And you're right. I rarely, if ever, talk about strength training. Well, at least not in the sense of prescribing programs or exercises. We do talk about it quite often, but more in the context of long-term development. So listen, strength training is without a doubt, one of the most influential types of training stimulus out there. And what I mean is it changes your body. And that's a serious thing because some of these changes you just simply can't reverse. It can change your biochemistry, the cellular structure. It can change your nervous system, your bone matrix, the connective tissue, the ligaments, tendons, and fascia. And most certainly, it changes your muscle tissue and the structure of that tissue. For me, strength training is the most dangerous form of athlete development. You absolutely need to know what you're doing here. And Zach, again, you're right. I don't talk about it and you'll never see me post an exercise, a resistance exercise anyway, for you to try out. Never. There are so many variables that need to be considered when planning a proper resistance training program. It can almost be overwhelming at times. You have to consider the timing, the progression, the exercise selection, and most of all, it has to be based on the intent, what you're trying to accomplish. And if those things don't line up, well, listen, you're in a lot of trouble because if you go the wrong direction, you can destroy talent. And so many athletes have been destroyed in the weight room. I can't even tell you. It has to be done right, everybody. It has to be done at the right time. And then you also have to prepare your athletes the right way to get ready for the stresses of resistance training. No matter what protocol you're jumping into, if you're not prepared for resistance training, resistance training can take back way more than it will ever give. And here's the other thing. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish. You can train muscular endurance in the weight room, and there are many different ways to do that. You can train muscular strength, 
And there's different and very specific protocols here. You can work on muscle size as well, hypertrophy, also in a couple different ways. And they have to be done properly depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And then you can also train for muscular power. And again, there are multiple strategies for doing that. One of the biggest mistakes I see here is the wrong type of training in relationship to the sport demands you're heading into. Here's an example that I see all too often. You can't be training for size heading into a competitive season. If it's a speed and power sport, unless you're a bodybuilder, that might be. It's a disaster. It's one of the quickest ways to derail performance. Getting bigger, getting stronger. This idea that getting bigger means getting stronger isn't necessarily the case. Getting bigger does not always mean getting stronger. And then focusing on strength heading into a power and speed sport can also derail performance and it can be an absolute disaster for an athlete. There's an ebb and flow that must be adhered to when it comes to athlete development and it all revolves around the competitive schedule and when an athlete needs to be a player and when that player needs to be game ready at the start of the season. It's the long game of development over years, over a competitive year and through the phases of a competitive year. If you're an athlete looking to seriously chase down a dream in the world of sport, here's my suggestion. Get with a professional strength coach, someone who actually knows what they're doing here. I'm not talking about a personal trainer, not the weekend certified fitness coach that's out there. Get with a professional strength and conditioning coach. Look for the NSCA CSCS certification. The NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, has a certification that identifies people as certified strength coaches. CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. And to go a step further, look for somebody with a CSCS and a sports science degree. Now you're getting somewhere. Be very, very smart who you bring into your performance team. And that's one of my strong suggestions for any athlete who's chasing down a dream. And then that other big mistake I see is the early rush for size and strength. You know, the scouts and the coaches and the recruiters saying, hey, if you get a little bit stronger, if you get a little bit bigger, you're going to have a shot. It's a huge mistake in sport to dive into strength training before an athlete is truly ready. For younger athletes, we wait to initiate serious strength training until that athlete has gotten past his or her PHV, their peak height velocity curve. We wait until they're through that fast growing phase that typically happens around 13, 14, 15, 16, as high as 17. Until that period is over, we never ever try to substantially change or influence strength or muscle mass. Now, to be clear, we do train strength, but it's usually very strategic and revolves more around light resistance tubing exercises and bodyweight exercises through ranges of motion. One, to help offset any asymmetries that might happen because of the sport demands. You know, the one-sided sports, baseball, tennis, even our hockey players can get imbalances in their posture and muscle development because of the one-sidedness of the game. So we will make sure we have corrective exercises for that part of sport. And then we'll use light resistance strength training type work to offset the risk of injury, to help prepare athletes for the demands of the game, but also to help with balance and coordination and stability and working through ranges of motion and spatial awareness. So we will use resistance training strategically 
but not that heavy, heavy strength work that's relative to a body's weight until they're done their maximum growth. And by the way, we use wingspan measurements, especially through those growth years, to monitor long bone growth, to help avoid injuries, and to guide training protocols based on the growth and development of each and every athlete we work with. You should as well. And on that note, we won't initiate serious strength training until an athlete has the base movement requirements. Keep this in mind. The only reason we prescribe a weight room program or even an exercise is to solve a performance problem. And for the most part, we're working to create better movers. So if you take an athlete and help them become super strong, maybe add on a few pounds without spending the required time or the proper time to really create athleticism, movement skills, what do you get? You get a strong athlete who can't and maybe never will be able to move well. Now, what if you take the approach of mastering movement skills first, general movement skills, and then sports-specific movement skills, and then you start peppering in and adding in strength, and then once they're done growing or when it's the appropriate time, you get down to it. Then what do you get? You get an athlete who can move well, who's also strong. You create a coachable player. And that's what I would wish for every athlete, regardless of where they're at in their development or in their careers. We're always looking for ways to improve sport performance. And you can always find a way when you're thinking like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershell. I'd like to thank Karen, James, and Zach for writing in and for getting us thinking about today's topics. And I want to thank everybody who's written in since we returned to the airwaves. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, or if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, let us know. Write to us at info at We answer every single message we get, and they're all appreciated. The Crush Performance Podcast is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is the cool guys at Radio Influence Digital Media. You can check them out at radioinfluence.com. The website and educational materials produced and directed by Debbie Kershell. Theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Olexin at Nolexin Visual and Sound. This is season 18 of Crush Performance. To get the Crush archives and to subscribe to the show, go to jeffkershell.com and follow me on social media. Search out Crush Performance and stay tuned for the Crush Performance video series. It's coming soon. And of course, I want to thank you for tuning in today. We're going to take a week off here, but when we come back, we are going to have a very, very cool look at one of the topics we mentioned today. We're going to start a deep dive into the concept of perception. What is it all about? How does it work? And how can we influence to improve performance? I can't wait. We're going to talk to some very very cool people about this that's coming up in a couple of weeks so get out there everybody have a great time stay safe we'll talk to you next time right here on crush performance